Welcome to the New England Football Show presented by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas, and tonight, Kevin and Adam and myself are joined by Mike Triani from Fight Massachusetts 24-7. Mike, how are you this evening? I'm good. I'm good. Hope you guys are well. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, well, thanks for taking the time, man. We appreciate it. And obviously, uh, as you can imagine, the conversation tonight will be exclusively college football with spring ball around the corner here. Bryant has already kicked off spring ball. They're actually going into their third week this week. But with spring ball already here, we figured now's a good time to have Mike on to talk some UMass football. We're going to also talk some BC, Holy Cross, UConn. We're going to talk football, college football, I should say, in general. Now, before we do that, I do want to remind our viewers and listeners out there that if you are looking into selling your current home or you're a first-time home buyer and want to get pre-approved for a mortgage, give our friend Herb Devine a call at 781-254-2846. You can also email Herb at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends, to help you with any questions you might have related towards purchasing or selling your home. The spring real estate market is just about ready to pick up here as we head into March. Now's a good time to get in touch with Herb if you have any questions on buying your first home or selling your current home and buying your next one. If you're ready, like I said, give him a call at 781-254-2846, or you can also email him at situate.mortgageright.com. Do it today. Herb has over 25 years of experience. He is ready to work with you and service all your needs Get in touch with Herb today. All right, Mike. So we're going to start off talking about your beloved Minutemen. Of course, they're still a little bit of ways away from spring ball, a little more than a month away. They actually kick off spring ball on March 28th. But there's been a lot going on with the program. Obviously, we're a couple of weeks removed from National Signing Day. There's also been some movement on the staff. Last week, we found out that tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator Jeff Moore was leaving. He left. There's a lot going on with the program on the coaching side of things as well. He's going to Tabor Academy. But just some thoughts on this offseason so far for UMass. And, and what do you think? Has the program gotten better in terms of personnel and what you see? Yeah, I mean, if we're talking strictly talent-wise, I'd have to say yes. Uh, you know, it, obviously it's going to come down to that talent, you know, getting coached up and performing on the field. That's what matters most to UMass after so many years of struggling at the FBS level. But, uh, it's you know, you never like to see coaches leave, but I, I tell people who always ask me, uh, yeah, I get it a lot. FBS assistant coaches are usually on the move after a couple of years. I mean, it, all the time. It, it's It's just the nature of the beast. So... You know, to lose only a couple of coaches in one offseason is not terrible for UMass, so long as they have someone who can step in to fill a role. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, Don Brown has a ton of connections all over the place across the country as far as coaching goes. So I'm, I'm confident he'll be able to replace, you know, Jeff Moore and Darrell Perkins, who, uh, who left the staff to uh, join Syracuse with competent coaches that can come in and, and fit into what the, this coaching staff is trying to do. Uh, I mean, like I said, talent-wise, they've done a they did a ton of work in the portal. They were almost exclusively in the portal. I know. I think the last time I was on with you guys, we kind of talked about that for this cycle. It was probably going to be mostly the portal, and and that's what they did. They're still looking to uh, to recruit in the portal too. They've got at least two spots for offensive linemen that they're trying to add now, and they've already had a couple kids announce that they're going to be entering the portal uh, as soon as it opens in April for the 15-day window, the second window. So they'll be able to add a couple more kids too. So it's always, it's a lot of moving parts, but uh, strictly from a talent perspective, I definitely think they did get better. And now it's just, 
having that talent perform. I agree. I, I think this team may actually be a little more talented than people think. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of guys on both sides of the ball I wanted to get it into, but maybe not now. I don't know if you want to do this now. But um, but I, I like a lot of the, the pieces that are still there. Um, you know, I think Greg Garogers from uh, Belmont Hill, and uh, uh, he, he's, he's a good slot receiver, good running back. Um, you know, he's a guy that you can move around a lot. And he's, he's, he's a fun player to watch. And the guy who's like him a lot, in my opinion, is Carter Scudo from Milford. You know, I mean, he's, he's small, but I mean, he can scoot. <laughs> and so, you know, you can do a lot of things with that. I'd like to see both of them on the field at the same time in some uh, respects. Um, another, this is a guy that I love. Uh, Charles Payson from Worcester Doherty. Um, he's like a fullback. And I forget how, what his exact height and weight is, but he is, a, he is a thumper. And you can use him in different formations in order to run up the middle. Uh, I don't know if they're going to try that, but it's just something that's that's there when you see him play. Uh, <clears throat> Kofi Asari from Worcester, uh, also Doherty. I'm interested to see what he can do. Uh, I don't know if he'll get on the field right away or not, but I know there's a good reason to be excited over him. He's um, he's an edge guy, uh, good athlete, long. Um, probably stand to put on a little bit more weight, but not too much because you don't want him to, uh, you know, uh, get bogged down. Um, oh, this this guy, uh, Colleen Charles from Attleboro. Um, he was I coached me, against him when he was in Attleboro. Tell, yeah, tell me a little about that. Did, what, well, what he's did, a big kid, he's athletic. I mean, the thing is, he was also a basketball player there. And to me, I always they had they played in both ways, but I think he's a natural offensive lineman. I think that's where he should be playing. Um, he played high, so he wasn't a natural bender, but I think if he's fundamentally better. He's a pretty good athlete for for a kid his size. He's got good length and, and size from well over 300 pounds. So he's certainly somebody that can be in the mix for them on either side of the ball. But, and Mike, you've talked about this, preferably offensive line, because that's going to be an area in the spring where they're really going to have to focus on. They do bring back a bunch of guys, but you lose a guy like Longman. that they're gonna, That's going to be an area of, of emphasis for them this spring. Um, and one other guy I wanted to look oh, two others. Uh, one is Jalen Murphy from Everett. Um, this guy, he is a explosive pass rusher. I mean, he's 6'2", 220. I, I don't know his exact height and weight right now, but he is very good at getting around the tackles. He's, he's, he's got sort of sudden movements, so he can also change direction when he's fighting a guy and get around him and pull him, pull him through. Um and, uh, you know, I've always liked him. I think he's a, a great player for them. And then uh, Dominic Schofield from Milford, again, there's a lot that you can do with the guy. I mean, uh, it was the COVID year. I think it was uh, 20, 27 loss to um, uh, Mansfield. Schofield took a handoff up the middle. He's 6'2", 240. Took a handoff up Coach the middle. against him, too. Yeah, I mean – this guy's legit. <laughs> like he's got some great athletes on this team. So, I mean, those are the those are the guys that just jumped out to me right away. Um, but uh, you know, I think you can be excited about what they can do with them, scheme wise and stuff. I, who knows? But the thing about it is, like these guys can do different things. So that makes you be able to plan more and and sort of widen your playbook a little bit. 
Um, so I was just, uh, those are the guys I like. Mike, did you want to hit on any of those guys? I mean, I, I, I mean, I like several of those guys. I mean, Charles, you know, transferred in from AIC after a year. He's walking on with the program now. A couple of those guys are still walk-ons, but he's definitely someone who I'm sure the staff is going to rely on to add some quality depth to the offensive line and, and some competitiveness in practice, things like that. Um, Asari and Murphy, I, I'd like to see them get on the field a little bit because they didn't really play much, if at all, uh, last season, their freshman season. So, but they're they were developmental guys, but they definitely have, you know, Adam Adam said it well. They've got some some very solid pass rushing skills. They were dominant at in high school, you know, for Doherty and, and Everett respectively. And, you know, Murphy in particular is kind of it's like a physical specimen for a kid who was only like 18 years old. It, it's you know, giving him another year in a college weight program and everything is gonna be massive for his development. Um, but they do have a lot of guys that you know, local kids and the kids they brought in via transfer and, and their regular recruiting process that will help this program for sure. You know, the offensive line is for me, I know, you know, John had a, a tweet or a little article the other day about quarterback, which I'm sure we'll talk about too. But, um, you know, and I had replied, I definitely think this team is going to go as far this year as their offensive line can take them. Um, they, they really revamped the quarterback position and that was much needed, but um, they need an offensive line that is going to win more than they lose in the trenches and, and open up holes for the running game and, and be able to pass protect effectively because they struggled with both of those things last season a lot, uh, you know, and there were a lot of things that kind of snowballed on that. They didn't have the best quarterback play and um, they didn't have the best receiver play most games. Some games, they, you know, they get flashes, but they are going to need – that offensive line to be the unit that drives the team. And if that, if they can do that, if they can take that next step forward, you know, UMass really could probably surprise some people this year, which would be great to see. Um, I want to go back to Jeff Moore for a minute. Um, when the news came out, you know, we were lucky enough to talk to him, you know, within a half hour or so. And aside from family stuff, you know, or why the decision was made and that was the reason, but I also asked him, you know, He's one of the best recruiters that that program had by far. Um, and obviously kids are, you know, re building relationships right now, especially with the portal is huge. Um, and I asked him and he said, you know, he firmly believes that kids that are committing to UMass now believe in the school and believe in Don Brown. Do you think, do you still think that it's enough for Don Brown just to sell himself? Cause I do. I mean, you know, Don's reputation precedes him. He, he's an unbelievable guy, an unbelievable coach. He's got decades of experience doing this. And I, I think being able to sell himself and what he's done and, and the players he's coached, put in the NFL, I mean, that's that's a huge, huge win for that, you know, for the program on the recruiting trail. Uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be important to keep it balanced, you know, sell the school a little bit too. Now, Don, you know, when he says he's going to be here for, you know, X amount of years until he can get the program straightened out, then he'll kind of step back into retirement, set it up for somebody else. I believe him when he says it. And, but they do, it's always important to make sure you're selling the campus, the, the, the program as a whole, the other assistants that are recruiting you, all that stuff. Cause you know, at the end of the day, it you know, recruiting is a crazy game. It always has been. But now you add in things like NIL and, and it's it's more wild than ever. Um, but, you know, you're committing to the school. And while it is important to have guys like Jeff Moore, who is and I, I should say was one of the best recruiters they had. Absolutely. You know, I, like I said earlier, assistant coaches tend to leave, uh, you know, 
more often than not guys, you know, especially at this level, the, the, the lower end of the, the group of five, they're going to put a few years in and then they'll probably take a step up either for a new title, a pay raise, you know, uh, moving on in their careers. That's just how it goes. So it's tough to commit. If you're a recruit just to the assistant coach that recruited you, you do need to, you know, commit to the head coach, but the school itself too, that, that really is important. So I, I think it's a, I think it's great for Don to have the cachet he has, but they, they always want to sell as much as they can about the school itself. Yeah, that's a big part of it. I mean, look, you can Don can only sell so much on the football side. And, and as you mentioned, Mike, Don's reputation speaks for itself. His ability to develop talent and, and develop guys that can play at the next level also speaks for itself. But the reality is you also have to go to school there. And there has to be some kind of, of a connection there from the – player to the school they have to feel like they fit in there it's 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 fine that if you could fit in with the football program in many ways that's going to be the easiest part of the deal it's going to be do you fit in with the school and so I I think to me Don has put the school in a place now where it's an easier program to sell perhaps than it was before although again and I'll keep reminding people of this I thought Walt Bell did a pretty good job of selling this program in this school to kids in the DMV and in the mid-Atlantic that I don't think he gets enough credit for, to be honest with you. I know that he didn't win a lot. I know that that's an era of football that that, that the faithful don't want to talk about, but I thought he did a pretty good job <clears throat> in that regard. Mike, I do want to get into the quarterbacks because, for me, I know there's a lot of positions we can take a look at this spring, but I know that when we get out there and we visit UMass later on this spring for spring ball, that's going to be the position that I'm going to exclusively watch and when you look at their quarterback play last year, it was not very good. And in many ways, you can blame a number of people here. You you can place the blame on Steve Casulo, the offensive coordinator, if you wanted to. You can place it on the players. It doesn't matter. I'm not placing blame on anybody. It's a first-year coach with a first-year coordinator and a first-year system. It's always going to be hard. I don't care who it is. Unless you're uber-talented where it doesn't matter. I think it's going to be hard when you ask a first-year head coach, first-year coordinator to come in and to inherit that quarterback room and make them fit into their system. And and clearly it didn't. Gino Campiotti got the bulk of the work because he was the, the system fit. But in the end, neither he nor Brady Olsen could take a firm hold of the job. I mean, they ended up playing, what, I think four guys play total as the year went on. For me – this is obviously the most important position to me. And I get what you're saying about the offensive line, and I tend to agree with you. But for me, they got to figure it out there. They obviously added some talent into this room. But there's a lot of moving parts here. You mentioned the portal opening up again in April, which, by the way, and I'm going to throw this out there, and I'd love to hear from all three of you, I think it's going to be interesting because by that point, we might have some clarity as to who could potentially be the starter. Because in my opinion, I'll be honest with you, I don't think UMass can drag this out like they did last year. They need to have a pretty good understanding of who the starter is going to be. Now, you're going to have Tyson Fomachon. You're going to have Carlos Davis. You're going to have Olsen that's going to be in the mix. They moved Campiotti and Wise to different positions. Chase Brewster is transferring. Those are going to be the three primary guys competing for it. Do you think two-part question here for you, Mike? One, do you, who do you think will come out of that competition in the lead? And two, do you think that there's a possibility that Brian and Kasula could name someone the starter by the end of the spring? 
Well, uh, to the first part, I'd say, I mean, it, you, you're obviously looking at Davis and Pumachan as as the two guys who are the front. And by the there. way, not to cut you off, the other guy that will could be in that mix come fall camp, of course, is Ahmad Hassan, the true freshman right. out of Florida. But we'll save him for now. Right. I, I mean, it was definitely like, you know, when, when they got Davis to come in before they ended up getting Pumachan towards the end of the transfer cycle, you know, as soon as Davis committed with his playing experience and, and his system fit, you know, you immediately look to a guy like him and said, he's likely going to be the guy. He's only got one year left. He's going up to FBS and, you know, he's looking to prove himself at this level of football. But then you add a guy like Tussan Pumachan in the mix, and now you've got a real two-horse race, which is great because UMass really hasn't had that with the, like, two very talented kids at the position really pushing each other to see who's going to be the first, you know, the, the, the true number one guy. Pumachan has all the, uh, you know, all the measurables, all the talent you could hope for. I mean, a former four-star kid from New England, you know, coming back home, that's huge. The reality for him, though, is that he hasn't played a ton of ball. Like, he's played everywhere he's gone, but he, but he was always the backup. He was the backup at Clemson. He initially transferred to Georgia Tech prior to last season and ended up as the backup there, which was a little surprising. I know when he was in the portal previously, the previous cycle, UMass was trying to recruit him, too, and I had heard a lot about how, you know, he and, and his family were just kind of looking for a place to him for him to go where he had a really good chance to start. And going to Georgia Tech didn't make a ton of sense to me, and then he didn't end up starting. So he's back in the portal. He's a graduate now, and he's coming up here, and he has a much better chance to start here, obviously. Uh, you know, Haston coming in, Haston's obviously the future. They love him. He, he's, he's a system fit, too, and he's, he's a very good quarterback. And I think down the road, he's going to be very good for UMass, particularly if this offense stays here for a while. But it's it's going to be between Davis and Pumachan. Do I think they name one by the end of the spring? Uh, I'm not sure if they can name one by the end of the spring. I'll be interested to see when I go out for the spring game. Uh, I'm sure one of you, one or all of you guys will probably be there too to see you know who gets the most reps, who gets reps with who and everything. Um, but I would say they will probably need to name that starter by, I'd say week two of fall camp. That's, that's about the latest they could go without having someone designated as the number one. And I agree with you, John, they, they have to, not only do they have to get ahead of it, name somebody, they got to get it right, obviously. And and they can't play a game like they, the, the rotating quarterbacks last year. And, you know, Bellstaff did much of the same rotating quarterbacks in and out. It never helps anyone to do that. I, you know, I've, I've said it for years now too. Like if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. That adage to me is as true as ever. Like you need one guy to step up and lead. I remember actually talking to former UMass All-American tight end Adam Brenneman last year before UMass played Temple. Adam was on the call for that game and we were kind of talking about the quarterback position. And, you know, he said that if you have a guy, if you have a dude, at quarterback, especially at the G5 level, like it anywhere really in, in the FBS, it can make up for a lot of sins. And, and you're much better as a program top to bottom if you have a guy you truly trust at quarterback. You know, UMass hasn't really had that since probably Andrew Ford, who was Adam's best friend and, and the guy who was getting him the ball was here. They they need that. Whether it's Davis or Pumachan, it doesn't really, you know, as long, whoever wins the job, if they're that guy, then that's great. That's what UMass needs. They completely revamped that room. They attacked the portal in that regard and, and recruiting. And, you know, you basically took Brady Olson from the starter at the end of the year. He started most of the games, more than Geno started. And he's now probably ostensibly the fourth guy. Like, I mean, or it's a coin flip for third, I, I, but I wouldn't be surprised if Ahmad Haston ended up ahead of Brady Olson in the depth chart. 
when this is all said and done. So they really wanted to make sure that they got a quarterback that or multiple quarterbacks they feel that could really lead the offense. Hey, real quick, before uh, you guys ask your next question, you mentioned Brady Olson, and I'm just asking you this. Do you do you see a possibility where if he doesn't if he's not getting the reps he wants in the spring, any chance he enters the portal in April? I, I don't want to start any rumors or speculation here. I know his uncles well, uh, that they're tremendous coaches, tremendous people. It's a tremendous family. So, again, I'm not looking to stir the pot, but this is a kid who came into the program with a lot of high hopes and expectations. Is it possible if he's not getting the reps the first couple of weeks of the spring and and he's not happy, does he look to move on possibly when the opportunity presents itself? Uh, I mean, I'd have to say yes. I mean, one man's opinion, of course, I agree with you. You know, we're not we're not starting any rumors here, but that, that's the bottom line this day and age. If if he feels like he's not in a position to compete the way he wants, play as much as he wants, uh, he he very well may look to transfer. And, uh, you know, I, I would not be shocked if by the time, you know, spring ball's pretty much over for UMass. That'll be April 29th is the spring game. Um, I believe the portal opens April 15th, which means it'll be open till the 30th of April. So the spring game is the day before yeah, it closes. If if he doesn't feel like he's in the best position for himself, then I would not be shocked at all if he elected to enter the portal. You know, like you said, he, he was very highly touted and he is a very talented kid. He's just, it's been difficult for him. He's had two offenses in two years and there's been a lot of struggles and it's just, it, it's been tough for him. So I, it wouldn't surprise me. No. I think um, the thing to remember on all this is that quarterback controversies can crush a team. And so I think for UMass, and I think this is what I kind of expect it's important to not name the starter now or, or early when you don't know. You want the kids together. You want them, uh, you know, competing against each other. And you want that to be the focus. A lot of team building stuff happens this time of year. And, um, you know, naming one guy the starter and stuff like that, it's – you really shouldn't go on that timetable until, like you said, like you said, Mike, like two weeks before uh, – the first game or something, something like that. You don't, you, I, don't, I think that you still got to figure out what your guys can do, what they're best at, who's the, who the, who are the best guys. Um, so I would, I would sort of proceed with, with caution with that. Yeah. I'm with all three of you guys. Um, look, they obviously have to do it early or early enough where, um, and also stick with it. I think more than anything, um, last year was just too jumbled, but to Adam's point, you know, we all know Don Brown loves competition. So if anyone's going to use it to his advantage for all of these camps um, and between now and, you know, August and September, it's him. But Mike, I just want to ask you about really the offense in general. And, you know, obviously, look, they need more talent. They need guys to step up, but just scheme wise or just, you know, coaching wise in general, we've been lucky enough to talk to coach Kasula a bunch and I think you know there's very few guys who can probably be on the same page with players like he can um he can really connect with guys but what do you think he needs to do differently this year maybe compared to last year yeah I mean it, it was obviously a struggle last year there was a lot of frustration from the fan base I mean you, you guys talked about it a lot I saw it I was there for all the games it it, it was tough to watch sometimes um and I think 
probably the biggest issue last year was, uh, you know, Kasula put this offense in, but it didn't really fit the personnel he had available to him. It, some guys did, but other guys didn't, particularly at quarterback. And, you know, Gino Campiotti, I mean, he's he's tough as nails. I love the kid, and he, he's a football player. He, he's definitely going to roll with UMass. I, I, I'm, you know, I believe he's shifting to tight end, and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later, but he really wasn't a quarterback. Um, he, he wasn't the guy for quarterback, and, and that ended up being the biggest thing. It was kind of a little too much of a square peg, round hole type of thing last year with the offense and the players he had. So this year, you know, I'd like to see him tailor the offense a little bit more to the actual talent he has. Now, the bonus is, is that they've had another full recruiting cycle, and they've brought in a lot of talent on offense that should fit his scheme more than the talent that he inherited. You know, he's, he, So there's more of his fingerprints on the offense as a whole, including the players that will be executing it. So if, if that's the way he can go, I mean, the offense should – be better. I mean, really, obviously there's nowhere to go, but up. I mean, if we're going to be frank, they, they had a really tough time last year and it, it, you know, even a moderately competent offense last season would have won them a couple more games, which is really all UMass fans were looking for last year. They just, they really didn't. I mean, I'll, I'll include myself in that as, you know, an alum of the school of fan, you know, the guy who runs this website, you know, in his spare time, it, it's, you, you just you didn't want them to be one and eleven again. I mean, that was the all that was all you all you want. I was looking for three wins, and they could have had it, and they left wins on the table, and that was the most frustrating part because the offense couldn't execute. The defense made strides that was unbelievable for one year, but that goes right to a guy like Don Brown, what he can bring, the talent he brought in via the portal and and in recruiting to get on the field right away and make a difference. The offense didn't translate the same way. So, you know, this year, the offense hopefully will be more tailored to the players he has. And, and if it is, they should, I say they should be better. I mean, like, but they can't really be any worse. So. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that wise and Campiotti made the move. You mentioned that Campiotti could be moving to tight end. What do you do with Zamar wise? I mean, he's one of the best athletes on the team. If you're going to move him out of quarterback, I'm good with that, but. This is a guy that you've got to find a way to try to use him and get the ball in his hands. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, he's moving a wide receiver. Um, that one I can say is, you know, confirmed. I I've seen him reply to people on social media saying he's a wide receiver. So that one's easy enough. He's, he was a wide receiver when he initially came in, when Walt Bell recruited him, he played, uh, he was a dual threat quarterback athlete at, at Barringer in New Jersey. And then he played at Milford Academy the same way played a wide receiver, played a quarterback. They they were doing anything they could to get the ball in his hands because that's how good of an athlete he is. Um, initially, they brought him in, made him a wide receiver that first year, then they moved him back to quarterback. He had some of the same struggles Campiotti had with his accuracy, with, uh, you know, uh, ball uh, not turning the ball over, right, things like that. So given the way they attacked the portal and, and revamped the quarterback room, and they need they lost a few of their wide receivers, uh, you know, they need a little more talent, a little more athleticism out there at wide receiver. So Wise is moving out there, and and I agree with you. They need to utilize him as much as they can. I mean, get the ball in his hand on screens, jet sweeps, things like that, wildcat packages. You can still use him for things like that. So you, you don't want to let a talent like that go to waste out there, you know, just run and go routes or something. You know, you definitely want to figure out a way to get him the ball, and, and hopefully they do. And, and they have some guys at wide receiver that are uh, – you know, like George Johnson, the third is, is very similar. Like he's, he's such a good athlete. You just have to try to get him the ball. And, and if they can do that, they, they should be better. And, and they address wide receiver in the portal. I mean, 
they went heavy. And a guy that's an intriguing name at that position is Mark Pope, who he started off at the University of Miami. He was with the Hurricanes. Then he transferred to Jackson State, where he didn't play at all. Now he's at UMass. He's a guy that's an intriguing prospect to me because he's a guy that can give you a lot of – we're talking about Zamar Wise. Obviously, we're talking about Johnson, the rest of that receiver group. But for me, this is a guy who doesn't have a lot of tread on the tires, and you could use him in a lot of different ways. And he gives them something that they really lacked last year, which was a big play element. Is he a guy that could possibly end up carving out a big role in this offense, you think? I think so. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, his his talent is probably unmatched at the wide receiver position for UMass right now. Just strictly physical tools kind of stuff. Uh, you know, he's kind of struggled to put it all together in his college career so far. He's had some hurdles he's had to overcome and stuff. But he's got one year left now. He's coming here. And I think if they can get him the ball, if they can get him the ball in space, he's the type of guy you can throw the ball too deep and he can go get it. I mean, if, if, if he can do that with – some authority. I think he'll have a big role in the offense. I, I definitely do. He's the type of guy you could probably see maybe leading the team and in, in touchdowns from a wide receiver. If the offense is firing, you know, he's, he's a great, great athlete. So, uh, you know, that's the type of high end talent, you know, that the, having the transfer portal allows a school like UMass to bring in, I mean, someone who may not have put it all together so far, but given the opportunity to play can really take a big step forward. I mean, we saw that more defensively for UMass last year with like, I mean, one guy in particular is Marcus Bradley. Um, but, uh, you know, he was a high recruit, didn't really play at Vanderbilt, had some issues with the coaching staff and, but he comes here and he's a you know model citizen and he's a great player. And, and, you know, he's got three more years to play for UMass if he wants and keep developing, keep getting better. I mean, so that that's, if you could get something similar to that on the offensive side with Mark Pope, I mean, you know, you're going to be, in good shape there for sure. I mean, Marcus Kushney did much the same as a one-year guy, a final grad transfer. You know, he was great in the FCS. He didn't play much at Florida State, except for the one blowout against UMass. That's when he played the most. But, um, you know, you, you bring him here, he leads the team in, in tackles for loss and hurries. And, you know, he's he was a great defensive end, edge rusher type guy. So if if you see a Mark Pope do something like that on the offensive side of the ball this year, that's, that's gravy for UMass. What's the mood like? with the program in your opinion, I, I, it can be so, uh, it can be so destructive when there's like one win season after one win season and stuff like that. Are they still feeling good about themselves? Do they still feel like they can go out and win? Because that can be half the battle sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to put like a stamp of authority on it. I haven't obviously talked to anybody, Recently, you know, player wise or anything in the program, I, I still I talk to a few of the coaches and stuff on occasion. I mean, I, I do believe that the coaching staff 100 percent believes that they can win, can turn it around. They're still only in year two of, of this, you know, iteration of the Don Brown regime here in, in UMass. So that's still the positivity stage, uh, you know, where the potential is still there and you're still kind of selling that. Uh, so, I mean, I, I do believe that genuinely. I mean, Don thinks he can do it and, you know. Don's the type of guy you believe when he says that because he's done it, you know, at, at stop after stop. He's always managed to produce winning defenses and, and, and make improvements and stuff. The players that they have, they though the ones that are especially still here, they certainly seem to be buying into it. I mean, they brought in a lot of transfers last year. They brought in 18 transfers so far this year, and they're, they're, they're not even done in that regard. They're going to probably have over 20 by the time it's all said and done. So, those kids certainly need something to believe in when they're going to commit here like that. And so I believe they think that they can 
turn it around, start winning games, get to a bowl game. The fan base is where it's a little different. I mean, you know, as you say, it, it can be very disheartening to win one game, one game, one game. It's, I mean, it takes its toll on the program, on the players, 100%. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, sometimes it can feel like it's even worse for the fans. Uh, but, I mean, that's sort of the nature of fandom, you know. You, you take things like that to heart. You take it sometimes a little too seriously. But it's very tough, speaking for myself as an alum and fan of, of the program, to watch them be the worst team in college football three, four years in a row. That's that's extremely hard to overcome. So if they can start doing that, if they can turn it around, they can put that in the rear view and people won't talk about it anymore. That's kind of the good thing about this sport is if, you know, no matter how bad you are for however many years it is, if you win six games and get to a bowl game, if you can win that bowl game, I mean, you just look at what UConn and New Mexico State did last year to programs that had serious hardships to overcome you know they win their bowl games and and it, you know all's right with the world people love it it's it, it it generates new interest new revenue all sorts of things so yeah it's it's tough it's probably toughest for the fans but i i believe the program the players and the coaches they still believe in what they're trying to do and that they can turn it around mike i have a, a general kind of portal question for you but first you just brought up uconn how much does that season for them last year do you think motivates UMass this year? I mean, it has to, you can't not really. I mean, I, I will say this. I, I, I begrudgingly, you have to give UConn credit. They support their athletics more than UMass does. They, they do. And financially, uh, institutionally, they have more backing and that helps them succeed easier than a school like UMass does now. I mean, you know, they, they brought in Jim Moore for a mill and a half, or I'm not even sure exactly what he makes, but it's a, it's a solid it's, amount it's of a money. It's a million and so, a half. Yeah. So that's almost twice what Don's getting paid, I think. So, I mean, when you invest that much money in it and, you know, they have a better stadium situation, they have some other things going for them for sure. But like they, what they are able to do to be as bad as they were and then immediately go to six and six you know, you can't necessarily expect UMass to do the same thing this year, but it, it has to motivate you to try. I mean, if it doesn't motivate you to try, then you shouldn't be doing it at all. So, uh, yeah, I mean, everything UConn did last year, everything New Mexico State did too. I think New Mexico State's another uh, pretty good example comparison for UMass, especially because they're probably a little bit closer as far as institutional support. They still probably have more than UMass does. I don't have the figures in front of me, but I'd be willing to wager they have more than UMass does. But it, that's a little bit closer to what UMass is, and they were able to do it too. If you don't look at those two schools and say, you know, 2023, the, the Massachusetts Minutemen have the chance to be six and six. If you're in that program, if you're on that staff, if you're a player, then, you know, there's there's no point in being there if you don't think you can do it. Yeah, no, I agree. And just a kind of a general, you know, overlook of, of the transfer portal. We all knew they were going to hit it hard this year, but the last time Don Brown talked, he talked about bringing in veterans that know, you know, what it takes to to get through a college football season. How important do you think that veteran presence is, particularly to this locker room that does still have a good amount of of young guys too? I mean, it's it's a great it's a, got a great deal of importance for sure. I mean, guys who've you know not only played a bunch of college seasons, but hopefully you know you've got a few, and they do have a few that have won at the FBS level that's very important to bring that type of attitude every day. Like, even if it's not going so well, you know, you still have to, you know, clock in, do the work, make sure you're focused on next week, things like that. I mean, those are small things, but that's the stuff that adds up. And, and 
separates bad programs from good ones, winning programs from losing ones. So, you know, this year, uh, you know, by my unofficial calculations, it looks like UMass has about 20 kids right now that will be exhausting their eligibility into after 2023, which is a lot more than they had the last couple of years. So, and they have a lot more, uh, guys with two years left as well. And I know Don has talked about that a lot about how they made it a point to get older, that they were still very young last year and they really needed more, you know, to spread out their, their scholarship numbers across the classes and, and have more veteran experience. And I think they did that well. You are watching the new England football show presented by mortgage, right? You're also listening to it because we convert this show to our podcast every week. Just want to remind you that if you are looking into selling your current home or you are a first-time home buyer and want to get pre-approved for a mortgage, give our good friend Herb Devine a call at 781-254-2846. You can also email Herb at situate.mortgageright.com. His team is available anytime, including nights and weekends, to answer any questions you may have. Mike, final UMass question here, and this is when the faithful will probably log off, but let's talk about the defense real quick. You mentioned Cushney before. You mentioned Bradley. Don Brown and this staff got a lot out of this group last year. It may not have always reflected in the final outcome or, or, or final scores of games, but the defense was much improved in comparison to what we had seen in previous years. You also look at a guy like Jalen Mackey. They have a lot of guys that they have to replace on that side of the ball that were significant contributors. But you also have a lot of talent back, especially in the secondary. What are your thoughts on this defense going into the spring? And again, we're not going to preview the season. We'll do that down the road later on this summer. But just some thoughts on the defense real quick. As I mentioned, a unit that was much improved after last season. Yeah, I mean, the defense is the unit that, you know, if you're a UMass fan, you're looking at to say, well, that was probably the greatest single season improvement for like one position group uh, that UMass has seen at the FBS level. So, it gives you hope that the same thing or something similar might be able to happen for the offense this year. Um, the talent UMass is bringing back, you know, namely, you know, led kind of by, by Bradley on the, on the end and everything and, and guys in the secondary like Jordan Mahoney and, and, and Josh Wallace will be back for his final year. You know, that's, that is very important. And they also went out and they, you know, they focused mainly on the offense in the transfer portal, but they, they got some solid defenders as well. They brought in Jerry Roberts from, from Arizona, who was, you know, who started for Arizona last year, second on their team in tackles for, for his final year, kind of similar in that Mackey role. You've got one year and you're bringing in a power five starter to fill that spot this time. Uh, guys, I mean, I think it was uh, seven Arizona Wildcats have transferred to UMass in this offseason. All guys that play for Dawn, they want to play for Dawn and Keith Dzinski again. So, you know, that's big. And they also, you know, uh, I, I, one guy, their most recent transfer that was announced, it was another Florida State guy, Shambray Jackson, who was a four-star kid in, in Florida from Orlando. And, you know, he didn't get much run with uh, the Seminoles, but he has a ton of talent. And if, if he can be, if he can follow that Kushney arc of, of development, he still has three years to play. So, you know, they, they really did some good work defensively, too. And I think you're going to see the defense probably even get a little bit better this year, which is exciting for UMass fans. Everyone knows what Don likes to do. I mean, I mean, he was the head coach when I was in school. And, you know, UMass made their bones on being a defensive team that would hit you right in the mouth. And, and you, you really couldn't beat them at home and stuff like that. So if they can kind of get back to that, that that's going to be huge for them for this season, trying to take that next step forward win more, and, and win some more games and be more competitive. So. 
All right, we're going to shift gears here now. I want to talk some college football in the area beyond UMass here. And I want to start with Boston College. Obviously, it's been a busy offseason thus far at the Heights. The Eagles do kick off spring practice a week from Friday, March 3rd. I think Stone is – I don't know if this is true or not, but word on the street is you've already marked your spot where you're going to set up your tent for the weekend. I don't know how true that is. Parking, Just looking to confirm. Parking, tent, anything you need. I'm going to be nice. there. You got the sterno going the whole night. Uh, Eagles kick off spring ball on March 3rd. And, you know, this is this has been a tumultuous offseason. We've seen a lot of coaching movement the last two years, but even more so this offseason, they move on from John McNulty. They promote from within with Steve Shimko and Rob Chudzinski. But then we find out over the weekend that, Defensive coordinator Tim Lukabu is leaving as well. He's going to be going to the Carolina Panthers to be their outside linebackers coach. This has been a tumultuous offseason for Halfley, an offseason that, quite frankly, he needed a good offseason heading into the spring because, as we well know, and it's been well documented, this is a big season for him coming off a 3-9 and nine season. Mike, just some overall thoughts on where Boston College is right now. And, I, I mean, are we overstating it? around here that this is really a big make-or-break type season for Halfley at BC? I mean, I, I think it probably is. I mean, I, I'm not the expert Kevin is. I'll, I'll certainly defer to him on, on most of this. But, yeah, I mean, I think – I mean, my personal opinion, I think Boston College is bouncing back. I, I think they're going to be a lot better in 2023 than they were last year. I, I consider that more an aberration than anything else. I mean, it – it's going to depend a lot, you know, as it usually does up here on, on how your defense plays. And if they can, if they can keep, you know, get better on defense this year, they're going to be in a better position. But I, I definitely think that, you know, like you say, this is, I mean, it's a little bit of like, you know, you hear Halfley's coaching for his job, things like that. I, I, I don't know if I'd go so far. I mean, but I'd say those, the seat's a little warm for sure, uh, whether that's warranted or not, but I, I don't think that you're going to see another three and nine from BC this year. I mean, it may only be like a six and six, but I think they're probably going to a bowl game. So that's, yeah, I, I like that a lot because I think, um, you know, BC's had it rough and it is, a, it, it absolutely is, John, it's like a, a, a crossroads type season for them. But they can't really focus on that stuff, the big picture stuff. They got to get to work with the details, fundamentals, and stuff, and that's why, you know, closing ranks in some respects is is a is a good thing to do. Um, but it's tough, you know. It, college football is hard. You work hard. It's you put a lot of work into it. There's there's school. There's you know life, and I feel like BC is good enough to bounce back from this, but they can't have any slip ups. You know, um, so I don't know. I, I think I'm slightly optimistic about it, but they can't f think about other coaches and stuff like that. If they're going to win, they're going to win because they get together and battle back and, and, and get, get back in this thing. I think they're capable of it. They're talented. There's still a lot of talent there. And the offensive line that took so much heat has talented guys. They were just young. That happens. Um, that's college football. That doesn't mean – I mean, some of the criticism is warranted, but in terms of the character of this team, I don't doubt it. I think they can. I think they can come back. It's going to be a lot of work, but I think they, you know, I think they can have a good season. Yeah, well, I'm with both you guys. 
Mike, I don't think they were three and nineteen last year. And John, you'll hate to hear this as a coach, but the injuries that they had last year mounted up and mounted up so quickly. They yeah, really that, that is bullshit. But go ahead. <laughs> um, just specifically on the offensive line, but um, look, I love the offensive moves, uh, the staff moves, I should say. And I know a I lot of too. people disagree. Um, we've been saying this for what, since John McNulty, you know, since we found out he wasn't coming back. We've been talking about this forever. At this point, with a young quarterback like Emmett Moorhead, keeping things simple, keeping the language the same, all of that stuff, it, it it's just it, it expedites the whole process, you know, heading into spring ball. So um, I, I think it's going to be fine. I personally think Emmett Moorhead is the right guy to also lead this team. Um, now, the Tep Lukabu thing, it caught me off guard. Um, I was a bit surprised. And honestly, just to take an outside linebacker's coach, coaching job. Look, I know it's the NFL, but it just kind of feels like, uh, again, it's hard to call a lateral move when he's going to the NFL, but it's that caught me off guard a bit. And you wonder if he maybe doesn't believe in some of the talent there, but overall, again, Mike, I'm with you and Adam, you too. This team is not what they were last year. I don't think, I do think they're more talented and I really do think the offensive staff, you know, the decisions that Halfley has made, it's just going to streamline everything and make, make spring ball easier, and really they can hit the ground running, which is something they wouldn't necessarily have been able to do if you bring in, you know, a brand-new voice, not only as offensive coordinator, but we forget they have a new offensive line coach again too. Matt Applebaum's coming back. That's a familiar voice that these guys know. So I think they're on the right track here, um, but it's definitely been a a more tumultuous offseason than I think any of us expected. I'm going to piss on your parades because I don't think it's as easy as you think. And I appreciate the positivity. And look, the schedule sets up to be positive. I definitely think given their schedule this season, they can bounce back. You don't play Clemson. You don't play NC State. That'll allow them to bounce back for sure. And I can definitely see a 6-6 six and six season and a bowl bid. All of that being said, you've had a lot of movement this offseason. And that's not easy. And the spring is, and Adam mentioned this, the spring is going to be about fundamentals and going back to the basics because in many ways, yes, even though on offense, for example, Chud and Shemko have already been there, a lot of the terminology will stay the same, but they're going to put their own fingerprints on this thing. They're going to tweak things. They're going to want to do certain things to play to the strengths of people that are on the roster now on that side of the ball. So there's going to be a lot of learning going on. Now on defense, I don't know where they go here. As far as I know, and Stone, correct me, they haven't announced that they've hired anybody to replace Luka Boo. I mean, this could be a situation where Halfley and the rest of the defensive staff call it during the spring, and then he fills that vacancy more than likely internally after spring ball. But these are all big things that in many ways are a shock to your system. Now, you bring Applebaum back, which I didn't understand – with all due respect to Coach, I don't know why he left Miami. Maybe he did it for a year, didn't like the NFL level, felt more comfortable in college, wanted to be back in college. Who knows? There's a myriad of reasons why guys move around. As Mike said earlier, coaches move around. That, that's just the nature of the beast, not just head coaches, but coordinators and position coaches as well. But for me, I'm not going to speculate as to why Tem left. First of all, great guy, great coach, very businesslike, really appreciated being around him. The last three years. I thought he did a terrific job there. I don't think it has anything to do that he doesn't believe in, in Halfley or what they're doing. I think ultimately he viewed this as a better opportunity. 
keep one thing in mind. This is an NFL staff, guys. They got a lot of NFL experience on that staff. Halfley was only in Ohio State for a year. Prior to that, most of his years in, in coaching were at the NFL level. Yes, he had coached in college prior to that, but he had a lot of NFL years in. So this is a staff where you're going you're gonna to see that. I think as long as he's here, you're going to have guys come and go. But ultimately, this is a big spring for them. And I think that the coaching movement is concerning to me because I think that kind of stuff does slow you down a little bit. It's hard to build momentum when you're getting used to new voices as players. It's going to take some time for them. And remember, you only have 15 practices. I know that we, we think the spring is this month-long extravaganza, but from a football standpoint, you only have 15 practices. That stuff, it'll be interesting, but we'll be there, of course, covering both UMass and Boston College as they kick off spring practice in the coming weeks. As I mentioned, uh, last week, Bryant has already kicked off spring ball. I'll be at Bryant on Friday morning uh, to do our spring visit with the Bulldogs. So looking forward to catching up with Coach Merritt and the staff there. Now, another program that's coming off a historic season, of course, was Holy Cross. Now, look, Stone is the resident ambassador to the program. He is... He is, a, he is the guy that the program leans on to do a lot of their PA work, if you will. So he's their minister of propaganda. However, I will say this. Stone is more bullish on the Crusaders. I think they take a step back. Now, again, I'm not in a bad mood tonight. I don't have my pissy pants on. I'm just being honest. I think they take a step back. That was an epic season. I'm not sure they can replicate that. Where do you guys stand on Holy Cross? Can they replicate what they did last year or something like it? I don't know. It's um, Look, uh, I think Kevin does such great work uh, with Holy Cross in general, and I think that's why well, they he's like He's the minister me. of propaganda. All right. Uh, but I think <laughs> I, th I think um, Holy It's getting Cross, late. Kirkshire's getting aggravated. <laughs> I, think, um, I think Holy Cross is going to be okay. Like I think a lot of it goes back to Sluka, having a guy like that who's been so outstanding on as a runner and a passer. Um, and I think, you know, them coming off what they did is going to give them a lot of confidence heading into this year. Now, they've lost a lot of talent, I think so, and a lot of experience. But um, overall, I just feel like, you know, it, it's it's a program that remains on the rise. Will they have as good a season as they did this year? I don't think that should be the focus. The focus has to be get up, do do this at one o'clock, do this at two o'clock. You know, there's a lot of um, lessons to learn in repetition, um, and sticking to a schedule, and going through a routine. Uh, and I think that's something that Holy Cross does very well. Or, or Chesney's teams do very well in terms of the, uh, how they, they're structured. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I I think Holy Cross will be good, but it, the, this is a lot of pressure now they're under. I mean, look at what they did, you know. <laughs> now they've got, uh, you know, a whole season coming off where everybody's telling them how great they are, and they'll be like the, the uh, target on a lot of teams' backs. But um, – yeah, that's that's kind of my rant on that. Yeah, no, Adam, I think you hit it perfectly. For me, it comes down to one guy. It's Matt Sluka. They have arguably the best player 
in the country at the FCS level. If you have that, you have a chance to do something special. Do I think they're going 12-0 and again? No. Um, do I think they're going to have a five-feet as Patriot League champs? Yeah. Now, necessarily that doesn't help them because when they get to the postseason, the competition that they face all year just isn't that good. Um, Fordham is the best team they'll face besides BC this year. So um, that's just kind of is, it is what it is. But, again, ultimately, if you have that guy at the position in college football, I think they can have another another special year. But, um, no, I don't think they're going 12-0 and again. I just you, – you mentioned the pressure mounting on them. That's going to catch up to you at some point. But um, there's no reason why they're not, again, league champions and hosting a playoff game again. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll echo that. It's – you know, taking a step back, I mean, we'll put that in quotes. I mean, that that's a relative thing. I mean, 12-0, and 0, I, I agree with you. Do I see an undefeated season? No, I don't. But if they're 10-2 and 2 and they win the Patriot League, I mean, technically that's a step back, but they still are the best team in the Patriot League by a country mile. So that's that's what I'm looking at. If, if I'm looking at Holy Cross's season from afar, I mean, they probably won't beat Boston College. So, But you never know. You never know. I'll give them credit. They're, they're going to come prepared for that game. They're going to, you know, they're going to do everything. They're going to give – BC one hell of a game, that's for sure. That's so, a great one. Yeah, that, that, that'll be a great game to watch for local college football. I mean, I would say they're probably like uh, 10 and 2 Patriot League champs. They're, they'll be in the playoff. And, you know, I, I am still honestly a little surprised. I mean, I, I guess I can see both sides of it. But, you know, Chesney's star as a coach is, is still rising here. And I'm a little shocked he didn't get maybe a shot to go somewhere. But I know staying close to his family is very important for him and everything. So, you know, he's not going to jump at just any job that shows up. Like he's not going to go coach UTSA because they ask him to or something like, so it, it's, he's going to need to find the right fit, but another year, like a 10 and two Patriot league champs type of year, I think, you know, Chesney might be able to write his own ticket to almost anywhere if he wants to be a coach at the, you know, and take that next step for himself. And then, you know, that'll be interesting to watch too. Yeah. They won't go undefeated. And I do think Suka's a very good player. I'm not sure I'd say he's the best player in FCS, but Certainly, he's a good player, and I think he's in the conversation. He'll be in the conversation for the Peyton Award for sure. But I, I think for me, it's going to be hard to top that season. For one, you got to play Boston College, and Boston College is going to be better than them, no matter how you slice it. And and I'm not sure that game. If BC comes to play and they're prepared, I still think they win by three to four. <clears throat> excuse me, three to four scores. But all that being said, this program is established now, so ten and two is still a great season if they can finish that way um it's way too early to, to call that i do think though they've got a this is a big spring for holy cross they have a lot of positions that they're going to need to look at a lot of really good talent to replace across the board on both sides of the ball so that's going to be the focus coach chesney has talked about that and the way they've recruited and they've recruited knowing that they were going to need to replace some of the guys that they have to replace so it'll be interesting to see how they do that we'll talk a lot more about holy cross this spring and going into the season but again, um, to me, when I look at this team, it, that that was that was a pretty magical season. It's going to be hard to replicate that. We'll see. You never know. Needless to say, he's done a tremendous job, and and I know that I'm sure he gets annoyed with this, and I'm sure that people around the program get annoyed with it about his future with the program. Look, I think he's going to be here as long as he wants to be here. He's going to be here, and who's to say he wants to move? He might just be happy. Might be content being at Holy Cross. Who knows? But I do think eventually there's going to come a time when there's going to come an offer and the money's going to be too good for him to say no, and he'll ultimately make that decision. 
Mike, I do want to quickly talk about UConn. I'm sorry to do this to you, man. If you know of, of the, the version of you at UConn, let me know and I'll call him. Uh, but but I know that the UMass-UConn rivalry is healthy. Of course, the two schools are going to be playing again this season. UConn is going to be playing Boston College as well. I love this. I think it is fantastic for New England college football that these three programs play each other. Just a couple of thoughts on UConn. I know you talked a little bit about the season they had a year ago. I guess my question to you is, as we head into spring ball with them, can they replicate that and exceed that? And talk a little bit about just your thoughts on UMass, UConn, UConn, BC. Why is it important that these schools are playing each other? Yeah, I mean, as far as uh, 23 for UConn, um, can they do it again? I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I don't – I think they're going to be very competitive in the games they play. They've, they've got a strong schedule. They've got some Power 5 teams, you know, Boston College. They have NC State. They have Duke again. So they, they've got a good mix of, of G5, P5 opponents and everything. So is it all going to break right for them to be 6-6 six and six again? I'm not 100% sure about that. I think they might take a slight step back to like a 5-7. and seven. Um, You know, like for instance, they're not going to catch a really down, hurt Boston College team. You know, again, at least in my opinion, I don't think that's going to be And they the got to come here this time. Right, yeah, and they, and they have to travel. So it's it's, you know, a little bit different for them this year as opposed to last I mean, I think they're going to be very good. I think they're going to be a tough out for anybody they play. Um, do I see another bowl game this year? I, I don't. I'd probably peg them around five and seven, but they're still going to be good. Um, I, I think what Jim Moore is building there, what he what he's already built, obviously, you know, year one, what he's turned around is is phenomenal. And I think he's definitely establishing something that can carry on for a while for them. Um, as far as all the teams playing each other, I mean, you know, you hit the nail on the head. It, it's great for it's great for college football up here for a region that always gets slighted, talked down on about their college football fandom, their college football prospects. You know how much you know it's it's only a pro sports town, things like that. I mean, I think it's proven historically that you know quality athletics, whether it's professional or collegiate up here, get support. I mean, I've I've seen in my lifetime a number one ranked UMass basketball team go to the Final Four. You know, it's the hottest ticket anywhere. I've seen Boston College get all the way to number two in football, like alumni banged out every time. So, you know, this this region will support solid college athletics, and and I think that's proven. And you know, it's it's bunk to think otherwise. Um, but it is important to generate rivalries locally, and you know, I would love. BC and UMass to play every year. I wish there was a way they could work that out. I I, I know there's arguments back and forth, and you know we probably don't have time for that right now. But it, it'd be nice to see. But I do like the the UConn UMass playing every year again. I mean those that that's a longstanding rivalry going back to the Yankee Conference 100 years. So seeing them play every year is great for both schools for the sport. Uh, you know I I I know I had heard they were going to set up a trophy for that game. They still haven't done that. I really think they should. They should definitely figure something out to to put a trophy on that game, give it a name. I mean, well, it really already. I mean, from the basketball side of it, you know, it's called the U game. So, I mean, if you play, I was going to say, why don't you just yeah. call it the U game, but the football version? So, yeah, you just carry that over. That's great. And if if they can build it more, like you know, say you know, it seems very likely they're playing at Fenway this year. I mean, I that's not a hundred percent, but it seems like the most likely scenario given that it's a neutral site game. If you maybe debut a little trophy at the Fenway game this year, I mean, that seems like something that would make a lot of sense. But yeah, it's it's very important for these schools to keep playing each other because they also are 
these two coaches tend to in and where these teams are recruiting they're they're battling and recruiting a lot too and and playing each other records against each other games they played that always comes up in recruiting you know UConn's recruiting Florida, a lot of the same places UMass is. They're recruiting New England and the DMV, Pennsylvania, a lot of the same places UMass is. So, you know, that you, you always cross paths like that and you build those rivalries while you're recruiting, while you're in the spring, while you're playing. I mean, that's that's what you need. And, you know, for a school like UMass that has had a lot of struggles since they moved up, that didn't have a rival for a while because they weren't playing UConn and they don't play BC that often. To be able to play them every year, that's big. And and if they can, like I said, if, if there was a way to figure it out to to play BC every year from UMass's side of it too, that'd be even better. I mean it. I love that. I love that answer. I love every part of it. The thing is, is college football is so fun, but it is, you know, something that at a local level it means even more when it's when it's really going. You know, and so you have those rivalries, you have those things. It's it's a lot of fun, and it can give people who don't have a lot much else to do a, a chance to be a part of it. And it's, you know, I, I love – I mean, that's everything I love about college football, the rivalries, the traditions, um, all that stuff from, from top to bottom. It's so much fun. And I, when I try to explain that to somebody who doesn't like the sport – you know, uh, or doesn't like college football, I, I can't put it in the words. It's something you got to see. It's something you got to be a part of. And I want so many people to be a part of it because it's so great. And um, and the rivalries are part of that. Like the BC and UConn and UMass and you, I hate your school and you hate my school, but you know, whatever. Um, it's it's a lot of fun, and I I want. I just want people from here to experience it, and and uh, it's just it's just a great time. So I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, no. And if nothing else, these games are huge for recruiting now. You know, these these teams are legitimately battling for kids on a yearly basis, which you know I'm sure they have been forever. But it seems like now more than ever, there are so many New England schools battling for certain kids. These games can can swing a kid's decision, so um, I, I love every bit of them. Well, Mike, I want to say thank you for taking the time tonight, man. We really appreciate it. Great stuff as always. You do such a good job with the UMass content over at Fight Massachusetts, and uh, we look forward to uh, seeing what you got going on there in in the coming days and weeks with UMass kicking off spring ball at the end of March, and we look forward to talking to you again down the road. Well, thanks very much, guys, for having me on. I always appreciate it. And, you know, I'll be here. We'll, we'll probably get back together after spring ball. We'll see what it looks like. And then, you know, season preview time will be right around the corner. So it's a lot of fun. It always is. It always is, man. Really appreciate your time, my friend. Well, that'll do it for this week's show. For Mike, Kevin, and Adam, I'm John Serenitas. We'll see you next week. Peace. See you.